welcome to the Big Six Podcast. Happy Tuesday, Wednesday, June 12th, 2019. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host, the daily CBS Sports NFL Podcast, rolling right along. Um, some quick notes, and then we'll get to uh, my man, John Breach. And then we will get to Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com to talk about the Browns. John Breach on with us now. Hey, John, how you doing, buddy? Brinson, you not knowing what day it is, is classic Brinson. People, it's the day after his wedding anniversary, and he <laughs> doesn't even know what day of the month or day of the week it is. I hope your wife's not listening, Brinson. I can guarantee you my wife is not listening. Uh, we've been married for eight years now, eight years and one day now when people are listening to this. We're recording this on my anniversary. I have an hour to get to my uh, dinner reservation because we're eating early at Stanberry in Raleigh. Fancy, fancy, fancy uh, place, a little dinner spot. My mother-in-law has taken our son. I dropped him off, cramming this podcast in before dinner. Very excited about that. Uh, also very excited, John. So we came up with an idea. So I'm leaving on vacation next week. I'm going to be at the beach with my in-laws. Um, last, that last, my last vacation, maybe for, for the summer, we'll see. Um, and, uh, for Monday's show, there was talk of like you and Sean and Wilson having to get up early and do a podcast. Instead, here's what I'm thinking. Let's do a mailbag, but not like a football mailbag, not a football only mailbag and anything mailbag, basically like an AMA. You could ask. And so I'm thinking that you, me, Sean and Ryan will do a super friend show that we record on Thursday or Friday for Monday, where we allow anybody to ask us any questions. So this is what I'm suggesting to anyone who listens who has a question they want to ask, and I will tweet this out as well. Uh, first of all, we will do, if you leave a five-star review on iTunes, this is Wednesday, so you probably need to go ahead and do it now, so it'll show up with a question. I guarantee you we will answer that question as long as it's not like, you know, something that'll get us fired or something that is rude, like... Who's the fattest super friend or, you know, like something like that. Like the answer, I guess would be me. I'll answer that. I would be the fattest, I think. <laughs> We're yeah. all in pretty good shape. We actually are. We are pretty, like, there's no one who's really fat. Like, I mean, well, I mean, cause when you think of a sports writer, you think of a guy up eating a hot dog in the press box and yeah. everybody's overweight by 30 pounds, but I don't, none of us really qualify for that. No, we're the only all, thing we have in common. We're all short, but we're not fat. So that's pretty good. That's, <laughs> um, if you leave a, so if you leave a five star review on the iTunes page or in the podcast app of your phone, um, we will guarantee you answer that question. You may also at me at Will Brinson or at John Breach or at Sean Wagner or at Ryan Wilson CBS, but I'm probably the one who's going to collect them. Uh, you can at me with your questions. You can DM me your questions if you don't feel like adding me. You can email your questions at willbrinson at gmail.com. This could be a question like, who do you, th- who's your Super Bowl pick? It could be, who should I keep out of these three guys? It could be, who's one breakout player? It could be, John, what's your favorite vegetable? I mean, it could be anything. We don't care. We'll answer literally any, any question. Uh, like, what is the worst contract in the NFL? Who would, if you could only save one of the super friends, who would you save? I mean, any of these questions are on board. You can DM, Instagram DM, Twitter DM, whatever you want to do, uh, fire away. But if you, I'll, we'll try to get as many as we can. But if you leave a five-star review, guaranteed to answer. What do you think, John? I mean, I love the idea. I get emails, probably like two or three emails a week with questions that needed to be asked on the podcast. And I just kind of <laughs> save them, but also ignore them because I never bring them up. And boom, now we have an outlet. Do you uh, have- all these people, they're gonna, I'm, this, this is from like three months ago. They're gonna be like, if they're still listening, they're gonna be totally, their mind's gonna be blown. They email you with questions? Yeah, email, okay, can you ask this, can you answer this question on the podcast? And I don't usually write back because I'm always doing something. Uh, how do these, but, how do these people get your email? 
I, it's on my Twitter. Oh, it is. I'm friendly. CBS Interactive email or your or your or your Gmail. My Gmail. So it says Johnny B Bad on your on your Twitter account. I like it. I respect that. Uh, my Twitter account is Will Brinson at G- I mean, my Gmail account is Will Brinson at Gmail dot com. If you want to email, and again, as I've always said, uh, and look, if, if follow up, if you if you email me and I didn't respond, um, it's been really hectic with life and stuff. But I will I will always answer any keeper questions you have, any fantasy questions, any life questions you have. Um, Let's get to uh let's get to the news, shall we? So that's let's do it. And you know what, Brenton, the thing is I usually do answer emails, but the ones that were directed questions of the podcast, I was like, Oh, I'll save these and I won't answer them because we'll answer them on the podcast and then we've never answered anything on the podcast. So Well that's even better. Dig so, myself out of this hole. So now if we don't get a bunch of questions, we can just use these all these emails that you got. <laughs> uh, I hope I get flooded with them. Uh re- reminder, we will probably record this on Thursday afternoon or Friday, earliest Friday. So if you want to get those questions in, do so uh Wednesday, Thursday, and maybe Friday. Uh but go ahead and send them if you got if you got a burning question. Uh you know who's got a burning question for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Jalen Ramsey. And his burning question, John, is where the hell's my money, son? Uh, he told reporters, quote, I won't get a contract extension this year. Ramsey also added that his agent has uh, spoken to the team. I believe uh, this is from Pro Football Talk uh, about an extension and that those extension, those conversations have left him with the understanding that the team will not extend his deal this year. Um, he responded by saying money's always there. Are the Jaguars, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who we mentioned, uh, they they lost Telvin Smith. Oh, you weren't on the podcast yesterday, but we mentioned this yesterday. They lost Telvin Smith, Yannick Ngakwe staying away from training camp, and now Jalen Ramsey being told he won't be paid. Are the Jacksonville Jaguars playing with fire when it comes to their defensive stars? I mean, I don't think they're playing with fire. It's not like anything Jalen Ramsey can do. He showed up for mini camp, so that's a plus because Yannick didn't. He's just out there skipping things, doesn't care. He's going to take that $90,000 fine and just eat it, which is a lot of money for Yannick because he's only making – uh, two million dollars in 2019, but if I'm the Jags, if I'm Jalen Ramsey, it this just doesn't feel like a big deal to me. He has two years left on his contract. After that, they could franchise tag him. Like he has zero percent leverage in this situation. This would be like me telling you that I'm gonna boycott boycott the Tuesday through Thursday podcast, which I'm only on once a year. It's like who cares because it doesn't matter. Uh, by the way. We started this, you and I, before we started recording, we were talking about the score. Don't look. Don't look yet. What was the score when we started talking in the U.S. Women's World Cup soccer game? It was 3 nothing. What do you think it is right now? The way you're looking at me, I'm <laughs> going to say 5. 6. It's 6 oh to nothing. My God. Look at this. John's got it on in the corner of his office. It's 7. It's, no, it's not. I swear to God. So we were joking because my buddy Bronze, um, not that I'm outing him, I think he listens to the podcast, but, uh, so sorry, Bronze. He and I were texting about it before and he's like, I think I'm going to take Thailand. They're plus five and a half. That's ridiculous. I was like, I, I was like, I'm, I, I'm not messing with that. I, I can't fade America. Uh, but he took Thailand at plus five and a half on like an Asian betting, uh, style setup. And that's turned quickly. They've scored four goals in the, uh, I believe in the first 26 minutes. No. Yeah, that, that that was fast. No, in the first 11 minutes of the second half, they scored four goals. So, Bronce, sorry for your L, buddy. That is quite unfortunate. This um, also makes me feel good, though, because I had texted my sister this morning, and this is the sister that roped me in to go into the World Cup. She talked me into flying out to France with her. She played soccer in college, blah, blah, blah. And I said, if the USA loses to Thailand, I'm canceling everything. I'm not going on this trip. <laughs> 
Uh, so we don't have to worry about that now. Uh, your, your travel reservations are safe. Um, is your wife going to Paris with you? Uh, she is not. She was just happy to go there last year on our honeymoon. So she was okay missing this round. So that'll be three countries in like two weeks for you. Mexico, America, and France. It's a lot, man. It's the off season. You should fly to Canada and get a punch card. Um, Kyle Rudolph got an extension with the Minnesota Vikings. The report was four years, $36 million. Um, as noted, look, I, it, the problem with the four years, $36 million is I believe if you look at it, it's basically like a, it's four one year deals. Um, they've, they've set it up that way, uh, because there was a, a battle between Kyle Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph didn't want to, he didn't want to go anywhere. And he said that he said, Minnesota is my home. He has no interest in, in going anywhere. Um, but I, I believe that uh, based on what Ian Rappaport of NFL media tweeted is that it's basically a one year deal. The Vikings freed up some salary cap space, about $4 million. Uh, they lower his salary cap number. And remember, they drafted Irv Smith in the second round of the 2019 NFL draft. Do you think this is basically Kyle Rudolph saying, just give me something so I can stay because I don't want to leave? Or how do you think this team actually values him? I definitely think they value him. I think it's crazy this whole whole situation, how it ended up. Because you look, there was the trade talk before the draft. There was Rudolph kind of putting the Vikings on blast. He was showing up to OTAs but still ripping the – like, hey – they're not giving me enough money. I'm not sure they want me, but I'm here practicing because I don't want to cause drama, even though him being there was kind of causing drama, but I don't know what else he was supposed to do. And then this whole deal finally gets set like at midnight during the same night as game five, of the NBA finals, when not one person was tweeting about it. I didn't see, I think Schefter's, I think he originally broke the news. I got retweeted like eight times. It was the lowest retweeting <laughs> ratio in the history of any news that Schefter's broken. I mean, it just got lost. In the whole everything that was happening that night, uh, that's when you want to yeah. drop the news like that you got a DUI, not that you yeah, signed yeah, a contract exactly, extension. yeah, not, not signing a four year, thirty six million dollar extension. Yeah. But uh, I, I think Florio had some of the details, and basically Rudolph is going to make one point six million dollars more in two thousand nineteen than he was supposed to. Uh, it's also got up to sixteen million dollars because there's an injury guarantee for his two thousand twenty salary. You were saying year one is all guaranteed. And, Year two is guaranteed for injury. So I think it's good. You get your raise for 2019. You potentially can be making money in 2020. If both sides want to cut bait after two seasons or one season, you can. Mm. All right. I like it. Um, I think it's good for the Vikings, too. They're trying to install a, a zone-blocking run scheme, and they need all the bodies they can get on that line. Kyle Rudolph has good hands, catches a lot of passes, isn't an elite tight end, but he's not, a, you know, he's not an average tight end. He's above average. Uh, also, getting a contract – Cameron Jordan, the Saints defensive end, signed a $51 million contract, and uh, he's now very rich. Pretty obvious move, I think, for the Saints, right? Cameron Jordan's been a borderline defensive player of the year. The extension is, uh, according to the advocate in New Orleans, uh, worth $52.5 million, $42 million of which is guaranteed, a maximum value of $55.5 million, and uh, it was, he was entering – the penultimate season of a five-year, $55 million contract he signed in 2015. This is not some monster deal, but it's a really nice deal, right? I mean, I, yeah. so he's got a uh... – I mean, I was actually kind of surprised this because Cameron Jordan was talking about it earlier this offseason. He's like, you know, I don't really care. I don't need the big numbers. I don't need Cleo Mack money. And Cameron Jordan's a great defender. So yeah. it's like 
Uh, it's got to be nice if you're the Saints. You're hearing one of your star defensive players saying he you don't have to back up the Brinkstrup to his house. Uh, and then the surprise for me is that he had two years left on his deal. He was under contract for 2019, 2020. The Saints don't have a ton of cap space. So the fact that they didn't, they could have done this next offseason. And I don't think either side would have had an issue with that. But maybe Cameron Dorn was just like, hey, I'll take a small discount if you guys do it now. And they got it all done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a great deal for both sides because Cameron Jordan didn't break the bank. The Saints have their star defense players signed up through 2023. Everyone wins. Yeah, good point. Um, Adam Schefter, who reported the deal first, noted that uh, Cam Jordan is turning 30 on July 10th and wanted financial security now. The Saints want to keep one of their top players and leaders happy as they try to ensure he finishes his career in New Orleans. He has five years and a max of $74.5 million left on his deal after the three-year $52.5 million extension. So, I, I, I mean, like, if I'm an NFL player, and it's easy for me to say this because I'm, I'm not an NFL player, and I'm not, you know, not even close to an NFL player, don't really play football, but, like, I would take three years, $52.5 million, and just get rid of the hassle. Like, all right, like, let's not haggle here. Let's bang out this contract extension. I don't want to get a free agency. I want to retire as a member of the Saints. I want to keep chasing rings with Drew Brees and maybe Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I'm the leader on this defense, and I want to be locked in for $74.5 million. Because you know what, John Breach? I can live on $74 million. In New Orleans, too. You know how many hurricanes that can buy? My God. Yeah, exactly. When he retires, that is going to be straight up hurricane. And uh what's that street down there? Bourbon. Canal Street, Bourbon, Bourbon Street. Bourbon. Yeah, Bourbon. that's that's where I'm hanging. As soon as I retire, I'm I'm moving to Bourbon Street and spending my seventy four million dollars there. Uh, Chris Jones was not with the Chiefs on Tuesday morning. On a scale of one to ten, how big a deal is this for you? See, this is the most interesting one of everything. Jalen Ramsey, of uh, Yannick, of Cameron Jordan, of all these, is to me is the most fascinating one because he only has one year left on his deal. And so if you're the Chiefs, you have to get something done here. He's grossly underpaid. Uh, we're talking about with the Jags. Uh, you know, Yannick has two years. Does he have two years left? Uh, Yannick has one year left. One year left. Yeah. Okay. But he's going to make more than Chris Jones is. He's going to make just over $2 million. Chris Jones is making $1.2 million. He is one of the top players, if not the top player on that defense right now. And so if I'm him, I don't show up. You make them. He's the one guy that I feel like has all the leverage here. Um, you know, it's not like they're going to him with the franchise tag now. So he can just literally sit out, and that's what I do. He's the only guy that we've talked that I would say, if I was his agent, I'd say, you know what, man, you go. You sit on your couch at home, and I'll call you when we have a deal. And if we don't, you just chill there the whole season. Yeah, like you said, this is the last year of his contract, and he is on a, a dirt-cheap deal. I mean, this is a guy who was – you know, drafted 37th overall in the 2016 NFL draft and he's made money. Like he's not, he's not poor. He got a four year, $6.231 million contract, but you compare that with what Cameron Jordan got. And I think you can at least make the argument that Chris Jones, Chris Jones certainly is on the same level as Cameron Jordan and he's more valuable long term because he's just 24 years old. Uh, he'll be, uh, 25 coming up here. Uh, oh. In July, on July 3rd. So happy early birthday to, uh, to Chris Jones. He produced 15 and a half sacks last year, as well as 29, 29 quarterback hits and 19 tackles for loss. He's excellent against a run. He's a great pass rusher. He's one of the most underrated defensive linemen in the league. He should have been a candidate for defensive player of the year last year, but he, he really wasn't. That's okay. Um, if you're the Chiefs, 
going into a season where you believe you can win a title, you are, have lost, you know, you've added, um, you know, Frank Clark on your defense, but you're not a great defense and you're in transition and you, you, you know, you think you're going to have Tyreek Hill back. Um, you, you're trying to keep up with what you did last year. You cannot let Chris Jones not be there. That guy needs to be there and paid and happy. And the one thing you just mentioned was his sack total from last year. That was third in the NFL, that 15-and-a-half number. And let me just tell you the two guys that were ahead of him, J.J. Watt and Aaron Donald. Those are both $100 million guys. Uh, Chris Jones is literally making 1% of that. $1.1 million is what he's scheduled to make in 2019. He's, and the guy who was fourth, Von Miller, has a huge contract. So, like, you look at the sacks, that is where you make the money, and Chris Jones has not made the money yet. Sit on your couch, Chris. Don't show up. Just chill there. Get your contract. Let it hang out and chill there. Um, remember Chris Jones at the, uh-huh. the combat, of course. Uh, by the way, look, I mean, Frank Clark made a five-year, $104 million, He signed a five-year, $104 million contract. Like, if you're Chris Jones, that would be like us hire, like CBS hiring some, I don't know who a good example is, but you know, like, hire, like you bring somebody in from the outside to cover the NFL and they're like, yeah, we're giving this guy like $3 million a year. Uh, breach, even though he's not as productive as you are. I mean, like your reaction would be like, excuse me? Like I've, I've been here since the beginning. I'm a homegrown guy. I grind out these big sack seasons for you every year and you bring in this guy, <laughs> this guy from this other team. Get out of here. Wouldn't that be It reaction? is too bad that Chris Jones doesn't get to collect royalties every time they show that combine video where, uh, the stuff falls out of his pants. Wouldn't that be he, awesome if you're? He'd be a billionaire if your privates were like making you royalties, like <laughs> like like. And you're not a porn star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like and they just show this every time, and you make money every time they shoot the combine. Players should actually ask for that. They should ask for some royalties or some sort of some sort of fees off of those uh, those combine. Oh, but they're still basically college players, and those people don't get paid. Not mm. the start of debate right now, Brinson, because it would last for. Eight hours. That's a good point. Uh, lastly, before we get to Mary Kay Cabot, Cam Newton unveiled a new, or maybe not lastly, but Cam Newton unveiled a new throwing motion. Did you watch it? Did you, did you carefully watch it? I did. Movie? And here's the thing. Like, this would be like, I don't know if it's because he was injured and they're just trying to cut down on stress that he's putting on the shoulder or if they actually want to change it to make him more accurate or something or if it's a combination of both. But to me, this would be like somebody at CBS emailing me after this pod and saying, Breach, you know, we like the way you write, but we want you to start writing in Spanish going forward. <laughs> like, that, I, I would have to relearn everything. I have to relearn an entire language. I've been and here start... for eight years. What do you mean I have to rewrite everything? Like, this is crazy. Yeah, exactly. And, and so Cam Newton's been throwing one way his whole life, and I think it's really hard for a quarterback to kind of teach themselves to start doing something new all the time. So, like... Yeah, he's got a new throwing style now, but is that going to hamper him going forward? I think it might take a little bit of adjust. I mean, it's definitely going to take adjusting too. Cause I mean, it's not like he learned this new throwing style, you know, nine months ago. I mean, it's like, it's been in the last, you know, he had surgery in January. So we're talking about, you know, three months, right? Where he's been able to throw and, and really just start throwing overhead. So he's probably been practicing the motions and all yeah, that. Yeah, he's only been throwing overhand for like two weeks. I know, exactly, right. And I will say this though. So I, I think, I think there will be a, a transition. I think it's huge that he's throwing now, that he's out there in June throwing. Um, I do think that 
when you look at the way that Cam throws, and I'm going to make the motion on this uh, as we're sitting here doing video, listeners won't be able to see it, but I hope they'll get it. Like he torques everything, right? And he, and he, and he like, he, he, I think he just wears out his arm. He's like a golfer who swings with just their arms. And so it's harder to get your accuracy up. It's harder to, it puts more wear and tear on your shoulder and on your rotator cuff. And I think that if they can get this, compact efficient delivery it's going to make him more accurate on these short yardage passes which they utilize christian mccaffrey and dj moore curtis samuel for and they can run this offense and in theory it should allow cam to take less hits in the pocket when he's back there on this big wind up and it should let him get the ball down the field faster so i think like everything they're saying makes sense but i'm with you the idea of completely rebooting your throwing motion at the age of 30 is pretty crazy yeah, I mean, absolutely, especially because what if it doesn't work? Like, what do you tell him to switch back in August? It's like Rocky too when he's fighting right hand in the 12th round, he switches back to southpaw. Is that what you do? Your your first regular season game where Cam used his new style all through the preseason was horrible, and then right before the first game, you're like, all right, man, you're switching back. This isn't working. Or ultimately, like, Cam's mechanics start slipping, and halfway through the season he goes back to his old motion. I could definitely see that happening, uh, especially if he's taking a beating – Back there. Okay. Uh, we also need to talk about very quickly, Miles Sanders injured for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, a scale of one to 10. How worried are you about the Eagles run game with no Miles Sanders potentially? Uh, the run game, I'm only like a three concern, but like everybody in Philadelphia injuring their hamstring, I'm like mm. eight concern. Sproles had that same injury last season. There are a few guys, uh, somebody's always injured though. Ever, somebody that running back in that, that stable is always injured. They have, Corey Clement, they have, uh, who else is injured? They have uh, another, uh, I don't know. Who I think Josh, Josh Adams. Josh Adams, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah so they have, they have three injured running backs right now. And obviously they have Jordan Howard, who I think will take the front of the snaps. But look, you take a guy in the second round, you want him on the field. And for him not to go through a single OTA or minicamp is a little bit concerning, especially when it looked like he was going to come back a week or two ago. So it's only like a four because you still have, you know, two months till training camp starts, but I'm at least a little worried because you don't want to see your second round pick spend any time like that on the bench with a hamstring injury. No doubt about it. Um, speaking of draft picks, the Giants and the NFC East, the Giants, this is my favorite storyline of the day. Maybe the week, maybe the offseason. The Giants, Pat Shermer, coach for the Giants, cracked the door open pretty wide, I think, John, on Tuesday after uh, OTA practice when he was asked if there was a quarterback competition during training camp. And he said, I think we're going to play the very best player. I know we're dancing around the words there. Eli is getting ready to have a great year, and Daniel's getting ready to play. We'll see what happens with it. That's not what we've been led to believe is the setup here, Breach. I mean, this is we've been told that this is uh, Eli's job. And if you continue, he said, I think Daniel's had a really good off, really good offseason. He's on track with the goal of being ready to play week one. The quarterback stuff will be on the front burner for everyone, but he's on track. He also added Eli is the starter, and this guy's fighting, getting ready to play. So... I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like, if you're trying to make it clear that Eli Manning is your starter and that you won't replace Daniel, replace him with Daniel Jones, you couldn't do a worse job than what Pat Shermer did on Tuesday, could you? Uh, you absolutely could not have. Here's what I heard from Shermer is that Eli Manning looked horrible this entire offseason. If I had to name a starter right now, it would be Daniel Jones. But Eli's been here so long that I'm going to give him a chance to keep his job heading into training camp. It was just like, I mean – 
that's as much as you can throw your starting quarterback under the bus without actually throwing him under the bus. Uh, 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 it was just, hey, look, Daniel Jones, it's his job to win, except maybe Eli can keep it, but he probably won't. He was basically like, my boss's 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 boss is saying I have to play <laughs> Daniel Jones, I have to play Eli, so he's our starter. Um, yeah, I mean, Daniel's good, he's got strong arm. I don't know what I'm doing here, I hate life. Remember that, remember that look he made when we were recording that podcast during the draft where he's like, like Dave Gettleman's like, he, we might not play Daniel Jones for like 17 years. And Patrick was like, Oh God, kill me. It's like now. if your wife has to pick who's more handsome out of you and Brad Pitt, like right. she feels obligated to pick you, but I mean, we know the answer would be Brad Pitt, right? Right. But we know she's lying through her teeth right? <laughs> on my anniversary, no less. Um, all right. I got to get to dinner. We've got to, we got to get to Mary Kay Cabot. Uh, and in fact, we actually talk about Eli Manning with Mary Kay Cabot because we're talking Browns and Odell Beckham thrashes, thrashed Eli Manning recently. I think we wrote about that. Surely we did. Um, talked about his weak, weak arm. So we'll talk about that and more with Mary Kay Cabot coming up after the break. Reminder, leave a five star review on iTunes and we will answer your question for a mailbag segment or tweet at me or John Breach or email me at willbrinson at gmail.com. Uh, thanks as always, Breach. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, Always a pleasure. We'll talk soon. Take a quick break. We'll be back with Mary Kay Cabot next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where the roommates This is a huge night. the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. All right, joining us now is Promised, friend of the program and one of the best beat writers out there covering the Browns for Cleveland.com. And also, I, I think with, now that they did the separation of church and state, you also appear, Mary Kay Cabot, in, uh, in the Cleveland Plain Dealer, but you've been, but you, you've been, you've been rocking the Cleveland scene for a while. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I can't complain. Uh, off-season activities, you know, we've got some mini camps going. And, you know, I, I couldn't think of somebody better to have on for the Browns at this time of year because it's pretty insane that we're sitting here in the middle of June and anytime a story involving the Browns happens, it's like the biggest thing in the, in the NFL world. Have you, have you ever experienced anything like this, like this season for Cleveland, uh, in your time covering the Browns and sort of the hype and expectations? Well, there was tons of hype surrounding Johnny Manziel. Now, Mm. I will have to say that that was a very insane and crazy period in and of itself for very different reasons, obviously, not because they were expected to possibly contend for a Super Bowl or go deep into the playoffs or anything like that. But there there was a ton of media attention and a circus atmosphere surrounding Johnny Manziel. So this sort of has the same, you know, magnitude of attention. No, that's a, that's, that's a fair point. I guess that the Browns are, we're used to having attention put on the Browns, but that was, you're right, that was totally different. It was like the, the, the stories that were happening there were crazy. This feels like 
And correct, I mean, maybe you're wrong, and maybe maybe people in Cleveland don't feel this way, but this is the vibe I've gotten, Mary Kay, is that anything less than nine and seven in the playoffs would be considered a massive disappointment for the Browns. Is that where the team is at? Is that where the fans are at? Is that where the city's at? How how are people thinking these days? Oh, you are absolutely 100% correct about that. The expectations are sky high, even though John Dorsey keeps trying to temper the enthusiasm <laughs> a little bit, Freddie Kitchens does. There's no – it's not happening. I mean, you just can't put this genie back in the bottle. It's out there. I mean, everyone is over the moon, excited about this roster, excited about this football team. Uh, you know, we even have a columnist for Cleveland.com that, that keeps shouting 12-4 and 4 from the rooftops. Oh, boy. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's out there already. Um, from your experience covering the NFL and covering the Browns, how do you think that will end? <laughs> well, you know, this time, you know, you they can actually back it up. They have the talent on paper to actually go out and get this done. And the reason why I think that they will be successful this season is largely because of Baker Mayfield. You know, I've been watching him now, obviously, since last year. Pretty much every time he throws the ball, I've got my eyes on it. And I'll tell you, you know, he has an incredible arm. He's got great football vision and instincts. And he can escape from that pocket. He can, he can slide and slip away from any kind of trouble and just zing the ball and nail it. I've seen him do that so many times that I, I do think that even when he plays against much better defenses than he played in the second half of last season, I still think his skill set is going to hold up. Yeah, I mean, I think he, if I was drafting, if I was picking a quarterback to start a franchise with right now, uh, I, I think Patrick Mahomes would be everybody's first choice and that there's nothing wrong with that. He has the physical skill set. Baker Mayfield is a very close number two for me. And I, I mean, I, I just think everything we saw from him under pressure in that city last season as a rookie, it, it's, it's hard not to love everything he's done. I think he's going to be great this year. He's like one of the top five candidates for MVP according to the Vegas odds, which is, which is bananas. Um, if you had to pick one Achilles heel for this Browns team, what would you focus in on? I know that the you know the offensive line, there's been a lot of turnover there, so I'm curious if you think that might be a problem. Well, the, the one thing that I that I point to, and I hate to be a killjoy about this, is that they didn't beat any winning teams last year. They certainly mm. didn't beat a winning team in the second half of last season, and they played horrible defenses. And I hate to point that out, but I feel like I feel like somebody needs to speak the truth on this. Uh, you know, they did play a good defense in, in the Ravens' top-ranked defense in the season finale, and Baker had 370-some yards and three touchdowns. And he also threw three interceptions, but you know, he brought the team back and had them on the brink of eliminating Baltimore from the playoffs. So he has proven that he can play well, at least uh, you know, 50% of the game, against a really, really good defense. But I think that's the thing to look at this season is, they're going to play much better teams than they played down the stretch last year. Yeah, I think when you look at. Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. No, but go ahead. You're, you're right. I was going to say because, like the Texans, he struggled against the Texans on the road. He struggled early on against the Broncos on the road, and 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 early on against the Ravens on the road. And those are the three best defenses they played down the stretch. If he hadn't beaten up on Hugh Jackson heavily at the end of last year, maybe we look at it differently, right? Right. I mean, when you look at the two Cincinnati games down the stretch, that's seven of the touchdown passes right there, and that that defense was horrible. I mean, just absolutely horrible. Now, again, this is not to take anything away from Baker Mayfield because I think he will rise to the occasion and I think he will kick the behind of some great defenses this year. 
But that's the thing that I think that people need to remember is, uh, you know, 12 of his touchdown passes down the stretch were against some really inferior defenses. The Atlanta Falcons were down, I think, four pro bowlers when the Browns played them. Uh, when they played the Broncos on the road, the Broncos were down to smoke and mirrors at cornerback. Uh, they, they really had nobody at cornerback in that game. So between that and the fact that uh, defensive geniuses have some film on Baker Mayfield now and are going to come up with ways to slow him down, stop him, uh, you know, defensive gurus are going to be trying to find ways to, to manage the spread offenses now that are everywhere. Uh, so what I'm trying to say here is that, you know, they can't rest on their laurels, and they haven't. I mean, they added Odell Beckham Jr., of course, <laughs> and in the second half of the season, they'll have Kareem Hunt. But, but the point is that they're going to have to play much better football uh, to win games this year you know, than, than the teams that they faced in the second half of last season. How's the how's the Odell thing going? I mean, I know there was talk that he wanted, you know, I mean, like there's chatter that he wanted more money. I don't know if, you, if you've heard about that. Like he actually wants his contract redone or if it's like, a, hey, you know, like John Dorsey did with Jarvis Landry, show up and be a leader and play and I'll get you your cash. I mean, is, is are there are there too many mouths there? Is Odell integrating well with that team? And how, how's how's he sort of look so far in, all, in the offseason? Well, you know that you know there was a big flap over the fact that he only attended one of yeah. the twelve voluntary practices. That includes the three-day voluntary extra mini camp and then the nine of ten OTA sessions that were actually held as practices. So he attended only one of those, and I think that was somewhat of a surprise to the Browns. I think that uh, that they at least hoped, maybe expected that he would be around for more than that. But he had his reasons. He says that he and Freddie Kitchens were on the same page about that. Uh, but I do think that it, he will have some catching up to do, not just in terms of uh, learning the playbook because it is a new offense, but, you know, just getting chemistry down. He talked about how he's not just now adjusting to the speed and the strength of Baker Mayfield's arm and how fast that football is coming in. So, you know, those are some things that, you know, if you have 11 practices to do that together – you know, you're you're kind of ahead of the curve a little bit. So they're going to have to work on some of that in the off season. But everyone fully expects that Odell Beckham Jr. will be able to catch up very, very quickly. He's very smart. He won't have any problem picking up the offense and, you know, getting the nuances of the new offense down. Uh, so I don't think anybody's too worried about that. Uh, he expects to work out with, he will work out with Baker in L.A. over the summer Ooh. at USC probably again. Maybe Jarvis will be able to practice. Uh, he set out all of the uh, off-season workouts with some kind of a, a minor injury. Uh, they said it was more preventative than anything. Uh, but those guys will get together in the off-season, and I think they need it. I think it will be good for them to spend that time together. How's Freddie Kitchens handling this move up? Because I mean, I, I as like somebody, you know, somebody who lives in the South, and uh, like I appreciate his general demeanor as a uh, gregarious Southerner who isn't afraid to speak his mind and, and has a bunch of funny catchphrases that maybe surprise some people in the national media. Um, but I mean, it is a big step, right? Like you're going from being an offensive coordinator to a head coach, and I, I don't think that anything can prepare you for it, no matter how much experience you have. How what what's your what's your general take on how how he's handled it and how he's sort of uh, handled any of the early speed bumps, whether it's the Odell stuff, the, the Duke Johnson trade rumors, any of that. 
Well, so far, I think he's handling it great. And his forte is that he's a people person. And he does a great job of getting players on his side, getting players to play hard for him, letting him know that he believes in them, he has faith in them, he trusts them, which is part of the reason why he hasn't gone to war with Odell over, you know, the voluntary workouts. He knows he's got to get Odell's trust and his confidence, and he's got to get him on his side. Uh, what I think will uh, be a little new to him is the fact that, uh, considering that he's never really even been a coordinator before except for those last eight games of last year, right. uh, to step into that head coach role and have to face that media every single day and find out just how one thing that you say can become national headlines very, very quickly, I think most new head coaches underestimate that. And it's gotten, of course, way worse over the last five years with social media or last six, seven years with social media, I mean, it's instantaneous. I mean, when you're going viral, you know, it, it's within 10 minutes, something that you said is everywhere. And that happened just in this last um, couple of weeks when uh, he was asked about Odell, what he, what he wanted to see from Odell at the mandatory minicamp. And he said, I just want to see him, you know, mm. and what did he miss? And he said, a lot, the offense. So, you know, those things became, an instant headline. I mean, you know, after doing this for so many years, I, I can hear the headlines. You know, yeah. I, I immediately hear the headlines and, you know, obviously wrote it like that. And then later he came back at the mini camp and he was like, no, you guys took that the wrong way. I just meant, you know, I just want to see him. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. It was. So I think that's going to be something he's going to figure out as he goes along that, you know, everything that, that he says now is going to be, uh, blown up into a headline. That's a, that's a great point because like I literally this happened with me and my wife the other night. I, I, I said we were in sort of a tiff and I was like, happy early anniversary. And she was like, you're being sarcastic. And I was like, I, I wasn't, I wasn't. And she was like, you're now you're just lying. But like, it's like Freddie Kitchen's like, I'm being sarcastic guys. You're like, no, you're not Freddie, Freddie. Like it doesn't matter. You already said it. And I mean, no, like it's that, right. it's that soundbite and you're right. Social media in, in 2019, whatever that soundbite is, is up on cleveland.com and nfl.com and cbssports.com within 15 minutes of it hitting Twitter. And all, you know, you, you know, there's so many different people are competing to get the quote out there that it's, you know, it's going to be parsed down, right? I mean, there's just no escaping it. There's no escaping it. And again, I really think uh, that that is what is different for head coaches today than it was you know, maybe even 10 years ago, maybe even as soon as Five. as recently as, as 10 years ago, a decade ago, where they didn't have to uh, deal with the viral nature of every single thing, not only that they say, but that their players say. I mean, Odell, you know, I wrote, and I, I thought this was a very interesting uh, aspect of his interview last week when, when you know, I, I sat there and I synthesized it. I looked over the quotes. I listened to it again. And when he said, you know, wow, I'm, you know, I really have to adjust to Baker's arm. You know, this is completely different. <laughs> and, and you know what I mean? Like I have a uh, headline radar in my head. Uh, Eli, it, Eli, a, Eli. <laughs> it's a very strong headline radar. And I didn't really write it like that. I didn't write, but I mean, of course, who, who else? He wasn't talking about, you know, his neighbor or his mom. Of course. <laughs> I mean, this is completely different. Well, what does that mean? You know? And you didn't even have to write it that way, but I did put a headline on that. And my headline was, uh, you know, Odell Beckham on, on Baker, on, on Baker Mayfield's arm. This is, wow, this is completely different. And that went viral. I mean, the New York media 
picked that up and ran with it. And, you know, that's just how, that's just life in the NFL now or in all sports, really. But, you know, so I think that those are some of the things that, that Freddie and some of these guys are going to have to adjust to a little bit. It, it really is crazy. I remember, and I'm trying to think, uh, what year it was. It was, um, Oh god, it was the uh I think it was like before the 2012 NFL draft, whatever year the the Buccaneers drafted Doug Martin. And um like I was talking to LeGarrette Blunt about the about something for an interview before before the draft and I was like, "Yeah, I think um you know, they said they're probably going to draft a running back." And he's like, "What?" Like I don't I don't like that. And like I remember I wrote a story about it and just nothing happened. It never got any traction. And now it's like in 2019 if like any quip or minor quote whatsoever from a player, coach, trainer, whoever it is, an owner, if you, I mean, if you write a story about it, it is going to get rolling. And if you, if you, like, not like, I'm not saying you use the catnip, but like, if it's Eli Manning we're talking about, you know, the, the post and the, the, the daily news, I mean, their ears perk up at, the, at any prospect of, of someone mentioning Eli Manning. So you're right. It is a, it's a totally different world we live in. It, it really, it really 100% is. And, and with something like that, I mean, I looked over all the, all the quotes and a lot of the other stuff sounded the same to me, you know, praising Baker Mayfield and being excited to be here and all of that kind of stuff. You know, some of it sounded like I had heard it before, but what I didn't hear and it, what, why I found it interesting on several levels was number one, that here he is in mini camp, just now adjusting to how Baker Mayfield throws the ball. And number two, how vastly different he found it to be than Eli, the guy who we all know, uh, he kind of criticized in that ESPN interview last year. So, you know, once again, you know, that's just, uh, you know, that's just how things are now. And, you know, everyone just kind of has to roll with it. Did you write that headline yourself? Because it's a really good headline. Uh, yeah. You know, it was really just his quote. I mean, yeah, no, but it was, no, but I mean, like the quote is wow. Like I just love the wow in there. I didn't know, I didn't know what y'all's, because like we usually end up writing our, on CBS, we write our own headlines. I didn't know if you guys were in charge of doing yeah, it I yourself. Did. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no. a really, it's a really good headline. The, the wow gets me because you can like picture Odell being like, wow, this is totally different. And it's like, like he right. thinks he's being innocuous, but you're, he's not. He's taking a, a shot at Eli. Uh, I mean, do you think there's, do you think there's blow up potential at all with Odell? I know this has been mentioned with Antonio Brown and the, and the Raiders. Like if things go poorly early on, Antonio Brown could throw a hissy fit. I mean, Cleveland's got a, you know, they got the Titans at home at the Jets, the Rams at home at the Ravens and at the 49ers. And you know, three of those four games or three of those five games, excuse me, are prime time. Uh, you know, three of the five are on the road and one is at home against the defending NFC champions. I mean, there's like a decent chance that the Browns could get off to a slow start. If that happens for whatever reason, could you imagine a scenario where there's some sort of uh, chemical imbalance in it that implodes with Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry and these various personalities? Well, I suppose the potential is there when you have, like you said, all those strong personalities in the mix. But Baker Mayfield is a very, very strong personality, mm. as you may have seen this past week when he actually stood up at the podium and called out Duke Johnson, one of his own teammates, yeah. for the way he's handling his business right now. So Baker Mayfield really doesn't care who you are or what your status is, how long you've been around, how old you are, uh, or any of those kinds of things. If he has something that he wants to say, he's going to speak his mind. So he's going to be the undisputed leader of this football team, and so I think he'll be able to hold that all together, even though he's still young. Uh, I, I think 
I think he's got that down. Um, but it will be interesting to see what happens if they do uh, get off to a little bit of a slow start. Now, the re- one of the reasons why that might not happen is, once again, because of Baker Mayfield. I think he is ready to take his game to the next level. And I think with the, the supporting cast that he, he has, I, I think he will play better, win more games, play better against better defenses. And I think Odell will be happier getting the ball in all the places that he'll get it from Baker Mayfield, including deep and in the end zone. Mm, that's a good point. And Odell in prime time, Baker Mayfield seems to rise, rise in the camp where the lights are the brightest and Odell certainly does too. And so that's a, that's always a plus going out of there. I, what are your thoughts on these two coordinators that the Browns have? Cause you know, Steve Wilkes had a, had a very nice run in Carolina, disaster season, obviously last year with the Cardinals, but a good defensive mind. And then uh, Todd Munkin, incredible job with the Buccaneers early on getting the most out of Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and Jameis Winston. Um, do you think that having those two, two guys with that kind of experience helped to sort of buoy Freddie Kitchens and, and how do you see specifically with the defense? Uh, do you, do you think this, this personnel fits with what Steve Wilkes wants to run? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Although, you know, I keep hearing, you know, that they've got, you know, two sort of man to man lockdown corners and that they play a little bit, you know, that he's known traditionally for more of a zone type defense, but they're going to make that work. You don't have guys like Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams uh, who can cover their brains out without playing a significant amount of man. So I think that he will adjust his defense accordingly. And, um, you know, the thing that stands out to me right now is the fact that they're trying to blend a lot of offensive philosophies and, and that it's, it's a work in progress. And I think that's what's going to be interesting. I think they're still shaping the identity and working through how it's all going to play out on the field. I mean, you've got Todd Munkin bringing in the air raid. Well, I remember asking, uh, Freddie Kitchens about the air raid at the, uh, at the senior ball. And he was like, I'm not even really sure what that is. And, you know, Baker Mayfield is very, very well-versed in the air raid. So you've got those two guys speaking the air raid language. And you've got Ryan Lindley, the quarterback's coach, saying that he's going to go out and pick the brains of Lincoln Riley. So they're going to incorporate some of these elements into the offense and some things that, you know, that Freddie doesn't necessarily, that he's not super familiar with. I'm sure he's familiar enough with, uh, you know, the, the route concepts and those kinds of things. But just from a speaking the same language point, I think it is a work in progress. And then you also bring in run game and blocking scheme concepts from James Campen from Green Bay. So that's new. And like Todd Munkin said recently, that it'll be a lot easier next year because right now they're creating it. It's, it's a creation of all of these guys, an amalgamation of all of their uh, many, many years in this league. And I mean, I don't even know if they know for sure how it's going to play out yet. Wow, that's kind of fascinating. That's a, that's a that's a great point. That's something an underrated aspect that I hadn't uh, really thought of. Do we have? And you would you would know this? Maybe I I I should know it. I just don't off the top of my head. Do we know? Is it going to be Freddie Kitchens calling plays or or Todd Munkin calling plays once we get to the season? And uh, you know, is there a chance that that flip flops uh, as as you know, depending on how things go out of the gate? Well, Freddie Kitchens is heading into this very determined to call the plays. Mm. You know, that's basically what got him the job last year. Uh, but Todd Munkin was very good, very good, excellent at calling the plays in Tampa Bay yep. last year. 
And if Freddie gets to the point where he feels that he's got too much on his plate and he needs to see the bigger picture better or have a handle on, you know, the bigger picture during the game and all the details of special teams, defense, uh, get clock management and all of that. Uh, if he feels he needs to turn the play calling duties over to Todd Munkin, uh, then he will do that. He doesn't have, he's not an, a big ego guy at all. It's whatever is going to be best for the team. And even Todd Munkin, when we first interviewed him, he said, well, yeah, I'm not calling the plays now, but, you know, those things can change. Mm. He knows it. Everybody knows it. So it's something to watch in the early, you know, the first half of the season. All right. that's uh, Those two very good offensive, not red flags, but things to, things to keep an eye on. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, Duke Johnson on the roster week one, 2019, yes or no? You know, I'm going to say no, but right now, they are basically not getting the offer that they want. So, you know, even just as a matter of principle, they don't want to give him away, and I think they want to hold out as long as they can. I wrote a column yesterday saying, you know, it's over. When you've got Baker Mayfield standing up there at his podium press conference saying that Duke's situation with the team is self-inflicted, and if you're not on this train, you know, then get off the train. Uh, When you've got your quarterback who is, again, the undisputed leader of this team standing up there kind of calling out your running back. And then, uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, but his agent's uh, husband, rapper Luther Campbell, oh yeah, actually yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of clapped back at Baker with, you know, some pretty strong words. Uh, you know, when it's gotten to that point, you know, it's certainly not worth it anymore. I think they should find a way to cut their losses, take what they can get for Duke, and move on. This team is trying to go. They're, they're definitely, obviously, trying to win the AFC North. But after that, they don't want to just win the AFC North and go home. I mean, they want to win the AFC North and continue on as deep into the playoffs as they can possibly get. And this team doesn't have time for uh, bogging itself down with distractions and controversy and those kind of things. It will have enough on its plate with the strong personalities that they already have. I advocate uh, that they, you know, Duke wants out. They don't really want him here for the most part. It's time to move on. Didn't, didn't you expect Mary Kay like 10 years ago that you'd be, uh, covering the former, uh, like lead singer of two live crew tweeting about the Browns backup running back, uh, wanting a trade because the quarterback called him out. I mean, didn't, didn't you see, didn't we all see, you saw this coming, right? <laughs> Everybody knew this would be coming. I mean, right. Oh, I mean, the things that I find myself <laughs> writing about nowadays, it's just like, am I really doing this? I am I doing this? You know, know. the things off of social media that, you know, that I have to write, uh, it's funny, but you, you have to keep up. You have to do it. You can't, uh, you know, you just can't ignore that. Social media plays such a huge, huge role in sports coverage now because the players are involved in putting their own feelings out there and their own thoughts out there and their words. And we have to be on top of it. No doubt about it. That's why you do a great job. Uh, read Mary Kay Cabot at cleveland.com and in the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Follow her on Twitter at Mary Kay Cabot. Anything else uh, you would like to plug on, on, on the old uh, CBS Sports Pick 6 podcast before we let you go? Uh, no, that should do it. All right, awesome. Thanks as always, Mary Kay. You're the best. Thanks for having me.